Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be Rekindling Zeal. Let's begin today in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning in the 14th verse, it says, And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyes salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verses 15 to 16 told us, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou were lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Lukewarm. That's what the church has become today. That's the defining characteristic of so many Christians. They're not hot, not cold, just simply lukewarm. Put another way, they're not involved, not uninvolved, not interested, not uninterested, not passionate, not impassionate, just indifferent. It's not hard to see why this is a problem. With so much going wrong in the world, with Israel, God's chosen people involved in a war, with our nation and our society crumbling to pieces, with the economy and the world in turmoil, the church should be anything but lukewarm. But yet they still are. Even though there's a clear opportunity for the church to be in the center of the madness, being a beacon of light and hope, a place of refuge from the tumult of the world around us, the church isn't seizing the opportunity. It's letting it pass right by. Many Christians aren't shining their light. They're hiding their light under a bushel, and they're not doing it because they don't want to shine their light. They're doing it because they don't care enough to shine their light. That's the worst state the church could ever fall into. The church today is simply indifferent. In the harvest, the laborers who don't care aren't going to reap. It's the people who do care who do all the reaping, which is a big reason why the harvest is many, but the laborers are few. We don't want that to be us. We don't want that to be our story. We want to be the ones who aren't lukewarm. We want to be the ones who do care and who joyfully and expectantly go out to reap in the harvest. But if we're not meant to be lukewarm, what are we meant to be? We find the answer later on in the chapter. Verse 19 told us, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Zeal is what we need. We've lost it. And in its absence, our lukewarm side has taken its place. When we first come to the Lord, we all have zeal. Verse 20 right after says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We're excited to come to the Lord. We're eager to be with him. We're passionate about wanting to start a new life with him. That's what makes us want to open the door and let him in. But over time, over the course of our walk of faith, after long periods of time fighting hard battles, being wearied and worn out by the enemy, it's easy for our zeal to slowly and subtly start to disappear until before we know it, it's nowhere to be found. It's not that we make a conscious decision that we don't want to be zealous anymore. It's just that the fire starts to die down. 
Of course we can all understand and sympathize with each other when it happens, because all of us have seen and experienced this ourselves. But just because we can sympathize with it doesn't mean that we can be content with it. When we find the fire dying down, when we find just a few small embers where there was once a raging flame, we can't just turn a blind eye to it and pretend like everything's okay and is as it should be. It's not okay. That's not how we're meant to be. And that's not how we're meant to live. Jesus said, be zealous, therefore. That's not a suggestion. That's a direct command. There's no ambiguity or uncertainty about that. Zeal is something that we need. And if we don't have it or have less of it than we should, we need to get it. So what is zeal and what does it look like? In his 1828 dictionary, Noah Webster defines zeal as passionate ardor in the pursuit of anything. In general, zeal is an eagerness of desire to accomplish or obtain some object, and it may be manifested either in favor of any person or thing, or in opposition to it, and in a good or bad cause. Zeal should create in us an excitement and an eagerness to pursue after more of God. It should lead us to desire to go deeper and deeper with Him. Zeal breeds two things within us. It produces passion and persistence. Passion gives us the ultimate underlying desire for more of God and the inclination to be devoted to the pursuit of God. Persistence gives us the ability to push through all the valley lows and climb all the mountaintops, facing all the opposition in our path without giving up until we find what we're looking for. Zeal is the engine of our pursuit. It's the fire inside that drives us onwards in our search. Zeal is incredibly important and it's necessary, but it can also be used wrongly or applied wrongly, and these are dangers that we have to be aware of. The first one of these we're warned of in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 and verse 2 says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. There's a lot hidden in this verse. The first thing we have to note is that it didn't say a zeal for God, it said a zeal of God. When something is of God, it means that it's something God's wrought. In this case, a zeal that God's raw in a person's life. But then this zeal isn't automatically according to knowledge. Zeal is directly related to the heart, to the emotions, whereas knowledge is related to our rationality and our mind. When we don't have zeal with knowledge, we're left with an incomplete and partial picture. We don't have the whole story. Earlier, in Revelation 3, the word cold in the Greek meant cold-hearted, and the word hot in the Greek meant boiling hot fervent. When we have knowledge with no zeal, we become cold-hearted because there's no feeling, no emotion to balance out the harsh rationality of the carnal mind. We don't want that. And on the other hand, zeal with no knowledge will lead us to become emotionally fervent, boiling hot with emotions, but with no logic or thought process to balance out the emotionalism of the carnal mind. That's why we need zeal with knowledge. We need both. They balance each other out. But what type of knowledge are we actually talking about? We're not talking about book knowledge, we're talking about a deeper form of knowledge. The word knowledge used here in the Greek is an intensified form of the Greek word genosko, which means knowledge gained through first-hand relationship, first-hand experiential knowing. Zeal without a personal relationship or a personal experience with God is the type of zeal that people take to the extreme, which is mainly because there's no knowledge to check the progress of the zeal and the emotionalism that inevitably stems from it. We find the greatest example of this type of zeal amongst the Pharisees, the legalistic religious elite. They were even known for it. They had book knowledge. They were well-learned and well-educated in the doctrines of men. But when it came to having a relationship with God, they knew nothing about it because they never had one. They knew of God. They knew about God. They even knew what God said. But they didn't know God himself. And that meant that their zeal was being misused and misdirected. 
Their zeal was growing out of proportion to their knowledge, and the effect is clear in all that we see written of them throughout the New Testament. Their emotions became boiling hot. They became passionate. They became enthusiastic, but not about pursuing more of God, but about opposition that they faced, pursuing their enemies. Instead of directing their zeal towards God, they were directing it towards other people, other people that they disagreed with or wrongly viewed as heretics. As always, they were putting all the emphasis on man and putting none of the emphasis on God. Paul, being a former Pharisee himself, understood this type of zeal well because his zeal was like this before he met the Lord. Paul, referring to himself, says in Philippians 3 and 6, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In Acts 22 and 23, he also says, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Paul knew that zeal firsthand. He had plenty of learning about God, but no experience, which is why when he first entered the ministry, he had to unlearn so much and spent three years apart in the desert of Arabia. He had to be alone with God, learning that experiential knowledge, that higher, truer form of knowledge. He had to unlearn what man had taught him so that he could let the Holy Spirit teach him truth. Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 to 14 say, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's zeal that made him able to press forward and to reach forth. It's zeal that put within him that unquenchable fire that kept him going. He didn't lose his zeal when he came to Christ. He just redirected it. The other mistake people make with zeal, we also find in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 in the English Standard Version says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is the real point of danger. This is where we start to head down that road that leads to being lukewarm. Christians get too comfortable. Their prosperity, not just financial, but spiritual or any other type of prosperity, becomes a curse to them. And then they start to be slothful in zeal, which means that they're letting the fire start to die down. They're not adding any wood to the flame. They're just leaving it on its own. And a flame will only survive so long when left to itself. The worst part of this is the word slothful. In the Greek, it means shrinking, timid, idle, lazy, troublesome, backward, hesitating, irksome. The concordance also says that it refers to a reluctant attitude, unwilling to act or participate, unambitious, disinterested. The classic Amplified only reinforces this idea and makes it even that much clearer. It says, Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit, serving the Lord. This is again a command. It didn't say that we should be aglow and burning with the Spirit. It didn't say that we should strongly consider it. It said, be aglow and burning with the Spirit. We can't let the fire start to cool off. We can't let it lag. We can't let it slow down. We need to keep fueling the fire. The Message Bible sheds even more light on the real danger of allowing this to happen to our zeal. It says for verses 11 to 13, Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be attentive in hospitality. This is what happens to people. They first get saved, and they're going full force. The fire's blazing at full capacity. And then over time, the more the enemy attacks, the more that they get worn out, the more that they get tired and weary, 
the lower their threshold of resistance becomes, and the more they start to lose their zeal. Instead of burning with the spirit, they get burnt out in the natural, and the effects of that then carry over into the spiritual. We've all been burnt out before, we all know what that feels like, but we can't stay that way. If we're not careful, it's being in a state of being burnt out that leads to us giving up during the hard times, because there's no zeal left to push us through those times. When we give up, we stop caring, we become indifferent, we're not hot and we're not cold either, we're just lukewarm. In Revelation 3 and 16, the word lukewarm is important. It's the only place in scripture where that specific word is used in the Greek. It means tepid, warm. The concordance goes further to say that it means the condition of the soul wretchedly fluctuating between a torpor and a fervor of love. That's a sad state to be in. That's a state of uncertainty, discontent, fear, anxiety, constant and random change. We're to be zealous always. In Revelation 3 and 19, where we're told to be zealous, the word zealous is in the present tense, which indicates that it's something that we're to always be, something we're to be now. It's a lifelong type of thing. One Bible commentator commenting on this verse says, The opposite of lukewarm. The Greek, by alliteration, marks this. Laodicea had not been hot, which in the Greek is the word zestos. She is therefore urged to be zealous, which is the Greek word zelu. Both are derived from the same verb, in the Greek, zeo, which means to boil. When we get to be lukewarm, we become the opposite of what we're meant to be. That means that we slid down that whole spectrum from a raging flame to a dying ember. That's not meant for us. So if we find ourselves in that situation, we have to do something. We know that the answer is to have zeal. But if we become burned out, if we feel lukewarm, how do we get our zeal back? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in the first verse, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am also persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 6 told us, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. The classic Amplified translates this verse as, That is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by the means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. We've all been given zeal. It's within us. It's a gift from God that He's imparted to each of us. But we have three things that we're told to do here. The first is to kindle the embers. We have to get the flame going again. For many, this means getting back to the house of God, getting back to reading the Word, getting back to spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. There has to be a spark for a flame to start, and the best way to get the spark is to reach out to God and to commune with Him. Then those small little embers have to become a raging flame, to the point where we could say with Jeremiah that His Word was like a fire shut up in our bones. This happens by becoming immersed in God and in the things of God. Zeal is rooted in love. The more love we have, the more zeal we'll have. 
We know that God is love, so the closer that we get to Him, the deeper we go with Him, the more love we'll have and the more zeal that we'll find that we operate in. We need to exercise this love. That's how you fan the flame. You love in action. You show your love, not just speak it. The last thing is keeping it burning. We all start with zeal, but we have to keep the fire raging. We can't allow it to let up. We have to add fuel. By making this not just something we do once in a while or only when we see it start to fizzle out, but something that we do always and continually as a way of life, as a way of being, as an extension of our new nature in Christ. Proverbs 26 and 20 says, Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbear, the strife ceaseth. We need to keep putting wood on the fire. We have to add fuel to the flame. We have to constantly be attentive, constantly drawing nigh to God, constantly spending time in the secret place communing with our Father. That's how the flame keeps going. It's when we become distant from the secret place that the flame starts to fizzle out. That's when the burnout sets in. That's when the indifference seems more appealing. And that's when we begin to slide down that slippery slope. Our zeal doesn't even have to stop with God, and it shouldn't. Our zeal for God should then lead us to be zealous in doing good to our fellow men, especially our fellow Christians. Titus 2 and 14 tells us, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify us unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zeal should make us excited and eager to love others in action, to do good to them and bless them. We should want to give to them and desire to see those who don't yet know the Lord come to Him and have the same zeal in their heart. Our zeal is important because it doesn't just affect us and keep us going. It could also affect others and spur them into action. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and 2 in the ESV, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In the King James, the last phrase says, And your zeal have provoked very many. People today need to be provoked. There's people of God everywhere who need to be stirred up. And our zeal can be what brings about that change in their life. This is why we can't rest until we recover our zeal. It's not just for our own sake. It's also for the sake of others. Our zeal should continually grow until it's all-consuming. When it's directed right, not like the Pharisees who did have all-consuming zeal but in the wrong way, it can really be an incredible thing and a force for good. Psalm 69 and 9 says in the ESV, For zeal for your house have consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. John 2 and 17 also confirms this. In the ESV it says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. We should be consumed by our zeal for the Lord. It should define us. It should be an intrinsic part of who we are, inseparable from our character and our spirit. Even the Lord has zeal. Isaiah 59 and 17, where the Lord is speaking of himself, says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. If the Lord has zeal, if he's a zealous God, and he dwells within us, then we know for sure that zeal's already within us. We just have to let it rise to the surface. And when we see all the indifference of Christians around us, the indifference of the world, the horrible things plaguing the world, and the hard times that seem to afflict us so often. These things, although bad, can and will be used for our good, because they'll serve to stir us up. They'll serve to inflame our spirit, to fill us with Holy Ghost fire, and kindle our zeal. Psalm 119 and 139 says, My zeal have consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. 
the enemy, and the world, and even some Christians, may forget the words of the Lord. They may ignore His commands. They may try to stand in the way of the Spirit's movements. But that shouldn't dishearten or dissuade us from pursuing the Lord. That should only inflame our desire all the more. They may forget, but we're not going to forget. We're going to proclaim His word. We're going to stand on the mountaintop and tell the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. We should use the things that we hear and see around us to increase our zeal, to drive us forward, and to make us an unquenchable flame for the glory of the Lord. That's the difference zeal makes in our life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the gift of zeal that you put within our spirit, and we thank you for the passion and the persistence that that bursts within our heart. Lord, today we make our desire known that we want to rekindle the embers of our zeal. We want to fan the flame of it, and we want to keep it burning, no matter what. Lord, we thank you that our zeal is not only for our sake alone, but that the zeal that we show forth and manifest to the world around us will then go on to stir others up and to provoke them, to force them to do something in action, to come to you, to start a new life with you so that they could have that same zeal in their heart. Lord, we want to pursue you. That's why we need our zeal. We want to know you. We want all of you that there is to have. And Lord, we thank you that you put your Holy Spirit within us to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Lord, protect us today from falling into that trap of directing our zeal towards men. Lord, we want to direct our zeal towards you, and we want more of you. We want to go deeper with you. And Lord, we thank you that you continually help us in our search, and that you hold our hand all the way through. And Lord, we thank you that the zeal that we manifest is going to bring honor and glory to your name. And Lord, today we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to rekindle your zeal and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for His forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for His free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.